invite you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. We're going to pick up where we left off um, last in our series on Acts. And I'm going to read the first 26 verses. Acts 11, beginning in verse 1. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to the uncircumcised men and ate with them? But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in this city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners. And it came to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and All was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent me from Caesarea, and the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in the house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved. You and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Pray with me. Our Lord God, we are thankful that we can be here. Thank you for providing a place for us to where we could come and we can freely worship, we can come and, and learn from your word. And Lord, hopefully to come and be transformed 
to become more like you. So God, for that to happen, we need your spirit to fall on this place, to open up our hearts, to open up our minds, to receive truth, to be transformed by truth. God, no one here needs to to hear from me because my words are death and your words are life. And so we need, we need life, and so we need to hear from you. So may my words fall to the ground and blow away and not be remembered anymore. But Lord, may your words remain, and may they change us. And we pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Um, I don't know about you, but to me it feels like forever since we uh, have last been in Acts. Actually, the last time was before Thanksgiving. Um, so many, many meals or many, many days ago, however you count during the holiday season. Um, I'm certain that a few of you have probably forgotten just a, a little bit of some of the things that we've studied. And so we're going to take tonight to have somewhat of a large recap before I, I dive into the passages right before us. Um, even if you remembered everything we had talked about in Acts, still these last five weeks or so, you've been bombarded with messages that are contrary to everything we've looked at. Um, Over the holidays, you have been bombarded with commercials, with billboards, with radio announcements, saying that you deserve many things, that you deserve many things. Um, I personally, in the last month, I wrote down all the things that I have been told that I deserve. Um, I have been told that I deserve to indulge myself with some chocolate. Um, I deserve a cruise. I deserve a new car. Actually, many, many car dealerships said I I deserve their cars. Um, I deserve new furniture. I deserve a new leather recliner um, and some kind of new ice cream. I even deserve ice cream. Uh, And although I was not told I deserve a new TV, many, many people told me that I needed a new TV and that I couldn't go without the latest one. I was told that I needed to get traveler insurance discounts that I deserve. Um, McDonald's told me that I deserve a break today. Um, A lawyer told me that I deserve justice. Another lawyer said I deserve every bit of money that is coming to me. Um, In the mail a few days ago, I was told that our church, this is what we deserve, we deserve top quality professional commercial video production. Um, I was like, we use an overhead projector, okay? Um, Finally, I was told that when dishwashing, I deserve perfect results every time, and and, and I agree with that one. Uh, So I was told, I deserve all of these things. That is a toxic message to us. I'm not saying, you know, that as Christians, you know, all advertisements should be, you know, you deserve hell, not ice cream, you know. Or, um, but, but when we constantly are being built up about how great we are and how much we deserve, it's toxic. You begin to feel like you are the center of the universe, that everything happens for you. Um, Satan would have felt quite comfortable using a lot of the advertisements that, that are around today. You know, uh, Eve, you, you deserve the best fruit in the whole garden. Uh, Eve, you deserve all of the knowledge. You deserve for no one to hold back for you. 
Eve, you deserve to be like God. It would have felt quite comfortable in the garden. This kind of advertising has crept into churches. Um, It's crept into many sermons. Uh, Preachers tell their congregations all that they deserve and that God exists in order to make them happy. That's what God's here for. He's, He's here to meet your every need. He's here to give you what you want. He's here to make you happy. The the reason that God created all of the universe, the reason that God created more stars in the heavens than than sands, grains of sands in all the earth, the reason that that He created things like chocolate and and your ability to taste it, the reason He created all of that is because of you. That's what they're going to tell you. That God wants to serve you. God wants to make you happy. That you are the the center of the universe of God. And let me tell you, when, when you're bombarded with this, and I mean bombarded, everywhere you go you're hearing it. It's being reinforced. It's being reinforced. You begin to believe that message. But then the Word of God comes... And it shatters that myth like a hammer shattering a rock. And we went over many of those verses at the start um, of this service. God speaks through Isaiah in Isaiah 43. He says, bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, who I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Later in verse 25, it says, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions. For my own name's sake. And I will remember your sins no more. So God created us for His glory. God forgives us for His own name's sake. Isaiah 48 says, For my name's sake I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise I restrain it for you, that I may not cut you off. For my own sake, for my own sake I do it. For how should my name be profaned? I will not give my glory to another. And so throughout Scripture, there's this, this avalanche of Scripture that kind of buries you, saying that God is all about Himself. He is all about His glory. He does everything for His own namesake. Every good thing He gives you, every sin that He forgives of you, every time He heals you, He does it all not for you, but for His great name. So God is ultimately all about God and not ultimately all about you. I've heard that really you're kind of a distant third. I mean, because first there's God and then God wants you to serve others. And then think of yourself, you know, you're, you're a distant third. You're in the bronze, okay? This does not mean that God doesn't take care of you. He doesn't guide you. He doesn't love you because he does all of those things. And he loves you so deeply, he has to use all of these metaphors to describe the kind of love. He loves you like a shepherd loves a sheep. He loves you like a mother hen loves her chicks. Loves you like a father loves a son. Loves you like a groom loves her bride. And so he's describing, I love you. Um, I love you with such affection. I love you with such devotion. I love you with such faithfulness. Uh, I love you in all of these ways. So God does love us. But his motivation behind all of that love is not because he thinks you're great. And he thinks you're the center of the universe. It's about his glory. 
Can you, can you remember, I don't know, I, maybe none of you can remember this. I certainly can. Can you remember the first time you saw your elementary school teacher, maybe third or fourth grade, the first time you saw that teacher outside of school? Do, do you remember that? You know, maybe you, you see her with her husband at a restaurant, and you just kind of walk, you just kind of stare. Like, this is her teacher. She's at a restaurant. She's, she's with a man. She's laughing. She's having a good time. And, and or maybe for me, I saw my teacher playing tennis one time. I was like, playing, playing tennis? And, and it was like my, my world kind of imploded. Because I thought, no, her, her world's about me. I mean, she exists to teach me. She exists to serve me. Her whole world is that classroom. And I remember the first time I saw my teacher outside of that, I was just so shocked and so stunned that they could have a life, a good life, apart from me. Some of you need to come to that realization about God. You need, you, you need to maybe have, a, uh, have your world flipped upside down. Those of you who think you are the sinner. You know, God created billions of galaxies that no human eye will ever see. God created um, caves with you know, gems in them that no human eye will ever see, no hand will ever hold. Why did He do that? He did that because he was glorifying in himself. Look what I can do. Look what I can create. He wasn't doing it so you would notice. You will never notice. You will never see these things. And God said, but I am so glorious. I display this for my name's sake. God has this life apart from us. And that is really good news. God is rejoicing in himself. And then he invites us to come and rejoice in that. The last time we looked at the book of Acts, we saw how this was good news for us. That God being about Himself, God's mission being to glorify Himself and not you, is actually really good news. Because that means that God doesn't want you to worship Him out of a sense of duty. That's not what He wants. Because duty doesn't glorify Him. It doesn't glorify him. Um, you felt this maybe when you were giving some gifts this Christmas. Uh, you know, there's, there's gifts you love to give, and then there's gifts you have to give. Um, maybe it's that second cousin who you know you're going to be awkwardly in the same room with, you know, during Christmas, or it's your, uh, your brother's girlfriend, and you're like, we're, we're spending all Christmas. I've got to get something. And so you, you, you feel obligated to give a gift, it's not that you really want to, but you have to. And so you're there, and you, and you give this gift. That kind of giving does not honor the person. It honors you. That, that's a world different than when you gave a gift to your spouse or to a really close friend, and you put so much time and thought and joy into it. And you can't wait for them to unwrap it. And, and when you give it to them, and you are filled with joy, it honors them. And that's what worship is, that, that when God is all about himself, when God wants to glorify himself, the way he receives glory is if you joyfully celebrate him. Not when you come forth and you think, you know what, it's time for me to serve my time. It's Sunday, 4.30, so i got to sing, i got to pay my tithes, i got to do all this, i got, I got to do my duty. God is not 
worshipped. He's not glorified in that. You are. So, God being all about His glory and you wanting to pursue joy are not at odds at one another. They are beautifully wed together. As um, many of you have heard John Piper say that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. And that rings throughout Scripture. To realize that we are not the center um, is actually pretty liberating. To realize that you are not the center of the universe. Um, If you are... If you're wholly convinced that everything revolves around you and that you deserve everything, when, uh, when somebody steps in front of you, you know, at Chick-fil-A and they step in front of you in line, you're going to get ticked. You're going to be angry. Because when you think, you invaded my space. Chick-fil-A exists for me. The, the, how may I serve you? They're talking, they're talking to me. They, they want to serve me. Okay, You're, you're invading my world. And so you, be, you begin to get ticked and offended. How dare they? That that, that that person doesn't know that everything exists around you. And you could go through all of life thinking that. Somebody cuts in front of you as you're driving. You're furious. Why? Because they invaded your space. They cut off your lane. But when you begin to understand that you are not the center that God is, I mean, very few things begin to offend you. Because they're not cutting into your world. Because you realize you don't deserve that line. <laughs> you don't deserve to be in that line. It's not all about you. And it frees you up to serve. Contrast your attitude, our attitude, with what we have seen so far in Acts. Okay? Okay? Uh, Contrast everything you have seen and you have heard over these last five weeks with with what we have looked at in the book of Acts. Because these early Christians had everything that we think we deserve taken away. The things that we've been told we deserve, the things that we've come to believe that we deserve, they've been taken away. Their property was taken away as as uh, some of their goods or their very homes were stripped away from them. Their freedom was taken away as they were carried off to prison. Their health was taken away as many of them were beaten and tortured. For some of them, their very lives were, were taken away as they were stoned and they were killed. So all that we strive for, everything that we think is rightfully ours, everything that we deserve, you look at those early Christians and it was all taken away from them. All that we think we should have. And yet their response was joy. It was joy because they knew they were not the center. God was the center. It's all about God. They knew that they existed to glorify God, whether they had a lot of money or they had a little. Whether the person jipped them off or whether the person didn't jip them off. They exist to glorify God. And so there was so much joy in this early church because they embraced their mission. And you're going to find so much more joy in your life when you actually forget about yourself and you embrace the glory of God. You're going to have more joy than you could ever imagine. Let's look at our mission. We've seen throughout the book of Acts what our mission is. Um, 
Your mission is the Great Commission. It's to go and make disciples of all nations. Or as Acts 1 puts it, you have been given the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, in order to go out into Jerusalem, Judea, um, you're to go to all the ends of the earth. That's why he's given you your spirit. His spirit is to be witnesses for him. This is what Acts 10 and 11 is about. It's about Peter, people going to make disciples of Jesus Christ. People fulfilling their mission for the glory of Jesus. Recap of chapter 10 and 11. If you remember, uh, God sends Peter a vision. He says, I want you to go. I want you to go to Cornelius, this, this non-Jew, and I want you to, to preach the gospel to him. And so he goes, and he preaches the gospel. And when he goes there, it's so interesting. The reason he is to share um, is somewhat surprising, or why he shares is surprising, because Cornelius is a good person. It says he's a man of good repute. He's a man who prays continually. He's a man who gives alms to the poor. This guy is better than most of us here in this room. Cornelius is. And God says, all right, he's great, but I'm going to send you to him, not to tweak a few things, not to tell him to keep going, you know, the way he's going, he only needs to maybe change a couple of things. You need to go and tell him that he needs to repent and he needs to be converted. He is a good, moral, happy man, yet he is lost and he has to be converted. And so Peter goes to him. And we looked at last time in Acts how much this This teaches us about the nature of our mission. And we don't share our faith in order to make people better people. Cornelius was about as good of a person as you could get, yet he still needed to hear the gospel. We don't share our faith in order to make people happy. Cornelius was a pretty happy guy. We go because we are passionate about the glory of Jesus. And we want to see everybody submit to the lordship of our king. That gives us such incredible joy to see others joining us in praise. And that's what we see here in Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 11. The worship of Jesus is our fuel for evangelism. Hear me, so so the best way that I can make sure we are a mission-minded church is not for me to get up here and do a little PowerPoint presentation on, on how we can be more global focused, how we can have a more effective strategy for reaching the world. It's not for me to get up there and kind of hammer guilt on you for why you're not on the mission field or why you're not giving more or things like that. The best way that I can make us a mission-minded church is to constantly hold up Jesus as supreme. And the more and more you see Jesus as beautiful, the more and more every time you open up the word you see him as more glorious, you will share. I pray that would be true of us. Real quick, we're going to look at a few things. Five bullet points for us to pray through for this coming year coming from Acts 10 and 11. Things that I hope for for us as a church. One, I hope we would be people who chew on his word. Um, I don't know if you've ever wondered this, but why does God speak to people in visions? Have you, have you ever wondered? I mean, he's a pretty amazing communicator, and yet he does not go to P- Peter and say, Hey, uh, Peter, go to a man named Cornelius and share your faith with him. Which, 
would have been pretty straightforward. Instead, he sends a vision of a blanket with like pigs and reptiles and stuff, and it comes down. And, and God says, all right, Peter, go. I mean, what, what the heck does that mean? I mean, there, there's a sort of blank. Why does God do this? And all throughout Scripture, he sends visions. He communicates that way. It, it tells us something about the nature of God and what he wants us to do. Look at chapter 10, verse 17. This is the comforting verse. It says, Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, I spend a lot of my time there. A lot of my time when I'm studying Scripture and I'm coming to something, I am inwardly perplexed. I have no idea what I'm actually reading. Verse 19. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. And then Peter gets it. And so you have God communicating himself in this perplexing way. And Peter takes it. And he ponders it, and he chews on it, and then the Spirit of God illuminates it, and then he goes, I want that for us as a church. To take the hard truths of God, to dig into his word, those perplexing truths, and to keep digging until the Spirit of God illuminates them and tells us to go. Second, I want us to go outside our comfort zones. I want us to cross racial, social class lines as a church. I actually think we're in a better position to do that meeting here than, than we were at Girls Incorporated. I, I think we're at a great place that can reach many different classes, uh, many different uh, people of educational backgrounds, many different races, better than we were there. This is hard. Do you realize Peter should have gotten this message at Pentecost when everybody's speaking different languages? He doesn't get it, so God sends him a vision. And uh, so he, he gets this vision, and, uh, and he's still perplexed. Still doesn't know what it means. And, and finally, when, when he does figure it out, and he does go ahead and he shares the Cornelius, later he's going to forget the message, and Paul's going to have to go to him and rebuke him to his face because he's still refusing to meet with people not like him. So Peter gets it, forgets it. Gets it, forgets it. Gets it, forgets it. Over and over, this has to be pounded in Peter throughout his life. Third, I want us to be a people that simply declare the glory of Jesus and the gospel. Nothing else. I love it that when Peter goes and he talks to Cornelius, he, you know, he, uh, he simply tells him about the lordship of Jesus. Spirit of God falls. I mean, he, he, didn't, he didn't beat around the bush. He didn't try to make Jesus somehow relevant. You know, he, he didn't feel the need to go to all that. All he, he realized he needed to do is I need to clearly present Jesus and nothing else. And when the Spirit of God sees an opportunity to glorify Jesus, he will fall. And I want us to be a people that clearly present Jesus in the gospel. Fourth, It'll be kind of hard for me to explain this one. Uh, I want us to be a people who, um, who kind of have meetings like they had, asking, is God allowed to do this? It's funny, the church 
Churches have always done this. Church history is full of this. God works in a mighty way, and the first thing church leadership ever does is we got to have a meeting and see if God has permission. We, we have to see if God is allowed to do this. And you find that all through Acts, God works in power, and they're like, guys, get together. All right, all right, can God do this? Uh, here, God falls here. First thing that happens, God falls on these Gentiles. It's like, church leaders, gather together. we got to decide, is God allowed to do this? I want us as a church to see God move in such a way it shakes us. Shakes us. It, it makes us think, wow, God, you're different than how I'd originally thought. I want God to move in such power in our midst, it shakes us. Fifth, this comes to chapter 11, verse 21. Could do a whole message on this. It says, and, let's write two pages, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. I hope you see that there is a distinction between belief and turning to the Lord. There. A great number who believed then turned to the Lord. Which is what we want, to turn to the Lord. I think that there are many Christians sitting in churches who believe, but they haven't turned to the Lord. They, they, they've grown up in Sunday school. The stories of the Bible, are, I mean, they can, they can recite them backwards, get hidden meanings out of them. They, 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 they know the stories. Yet when it comes to a day by day turning your life, Looking at the Lord, it's not there. They just simply believe these things, but they've yet to turn to the Lord. I, I am certain there are many people here in this room that, that describes you. I want us to be a people who not only believe these things, but then once we believe them, we now turn to the Lord. I believe this. Now what, Lord? I want to hear from you. I want to serve you. I want to worship you. I want to go wherever you tell me to go. I want to do whatever you tell me to do. I turn to you. I want to see that happen in our midst this coming year. I want to see those five things happen all for the glory of Jesus.